Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Tommy Butts, Extension Weed Scientist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, Thank you for joining us for this next episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing cover crops, uh, especially as we're getting into the heat of the planting season for those as we're, you know, in in harvest season and we're taking off our crops, we need to be moving right right into planting these cover crops. So uh, we kind of wanted to have a conversation today about uh, just you know, anything and everything dealing with planting and species selection, expectations, and then how that all plays in the weed control at the end. Uh, now, before I jump into uh, introducing my uh, fellow co-hosts today and, and getting into that conversation, I do want to put in a plug for our uh, Division of Agriculture um, field days, virtual field days upcoming here. So uh, on October 7th at 6 p.m., we are having our rice and soybean virtual field day. Um, if you want more information on that, it's, uh, it's available at our Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station website or bit.ly forward slash rice soybean 21. Um, also coming up on October 28th at 6 p.m. is the corn and cotton virtual field day. So uh, please mark your calendars for those dates and uh, join us for those virtual field days. There's been a lot of work in the background, uh, putting the videos together and our communications group getting this all outlined and ready. And so we'd love to have you join and and gather some more information from us in a virtual setting. So again, October 7th here at 6 p.m. is the rice and soybean virtual field day and October 28th at 6 p.m. will be the corn and cotton field day. So please join us for those. Now, moving out of that and and jumping into the conversation today, um, I've got two co-hosts today. Um, First of all, Matt Fryer, Extension Soil Instructor uh, with the the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, Matt, do you want to say hi and give any quick background on yourself? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tommy. I'm glad to be here. Um, I just work with county agents and uh, any on-farm demonstrations with uh, anything related to soil, so if that's cover crops or fertility related that's that's what I do so it's glad to be on here perfect thank you and uh, the next co-host is uh, Dr. Trent Roberts who is the recently new endowed chair in soil fertility research uh, Trent thanks uh, for joining today uh, you just want to introduce yourself or say hi or you know not scare away our listeners today that would be the best thing thank you well thanks Tommy I appreciate it now uh, I just uh, you know I'm, I'm glad you invited us on today hopefully some of the, the information that Matt and I can, can provide everyone will get them, you know, interested in cover crops. And if they're not already doing it, you know, hopefully push them in that direction to, to at least dip their toe in the water and, and give them a chance. Perfect. I like that sentiment. And, and especially if you're going to be new to cover crops, I think dipping your toe in is, is an excellent analogy right off the bat. You know, it's something that you, you want to be able to try, but don't go full sailing because that, that's just asking for trouble right off the bat. So I like that starting off our conversation. Um, one of the first things that I just wanted to throw out to y'all here and start off this conversation is really, since we're moving into this planting window for cover, cover crops, you know, what are some, uh, planting details that we need to pay attention to and specifically you know especially for someone new what kind of you know uh, species selection should we be going for what should we be paying attention paying attention to moving forward into you know next year's cash crop all those kinds of things Um, and so I guess first of all just start off with you Trent just go right back to you you know what's one of the the first couple things that you would 
gear someone towards when they start considering planting their their cover crops this fall? Well, so to me, the the hard part to to really grasp your your head around or, or think about with cover crops is, you know, when we plant a cash crop, we're thinking about making money, right? So I'm going to plant soybean in this field because you know, I'm going to make this amount of money, or I'm going to plant rice instead of soybean because my, my profit potential is greater. And what's difficult about cover crops is we're not harvesting those crops, right? And so we're trying to realize benefits that may or may not have a monetary value. And that becomes a little bit difficult because I think what we have to do with cover crops is think, okay, you know, potentially what can I do with this cover crop to save money, right? And so when we think about where we see the biggest benefit from cover crop implementation, a lot of times it's in non-irrigated systems. Well, the majority of our crops are irrigated. So the first thing I try to tell people is, you know, in an irrigated production system where we have high inputs, we can't expect these huge yield increases that we see in other parts of the country. And so I think our focus needs to be on, okay, how can I implement cover crops to help reduce my input costs? And we just think about going no-till. Well, if you go no-till and implement cover crops, that's a huge savings in fuel, labor, equipment depreciation, you know, all those different types of things. So I would, I would start by saying that. Um, and then, you know, I, I would turn it over to Matt, because uh, I think Matt does a really good job of, of talking about, you know, goal-oriented cover crops, and let him kind of talk about that. Yeah, I would, I like what you said, Trent, and I think, you know, every time I work with producers on cover crop selection, that is the first question I ask is, what are your goals that you want to achieve with a cover crop? Is it uh, reducing weed pressure in your following cash crop? Is it to improve uh, water infiltration? You know, we have irrigated systems, but you know, sometimes we don't have water soaking in past six inches. And so do you want to kind of open up that soil profile a little bit, um, allow water to go in deeper, allow your cash crop roots to potentially grow deeper and take up nutrients beyond six inches of soil? Uh, and so that's my first, that's my first question. You know, if, if it's if it's weed control, if it's uh, erosion, reducing erosion, um, if it's to improve water infiltration, grasses are going to be the workhorse um, of of the cover crop species for for a lot of goals that we have in Arkansas. Um, but on the same hand. Um, you know, the cash crop that you're, you're following that cover crop with is important because we don't want to follow 100% um, grass cash crop with a grass cover. Uh, we don't want to follow a, a grass cover crop with a grass cash crop like corn. Um, we want to throw in some legumes in there, um, have a legume dominated cover crop ahead of corn or rice. Um, and so those are the two main questions I would ask. And so, uh, and then the next question I would ask is planning date. When are you planning? Um, do you think you'll be able to get planted before mid-October? Then that opens up kind of your options 
uh, for species selection. If you're going to be planting past mid-October, that kind of throws out uh, the brassicas. There's really no point in planting after those, uh, planting those after mid-October. Um, they just don't put on enough growth. They typically winter kill. Um, and so planting date plays a big role as well. And then the third question I ask is, how are you going to plant? If we're drilling um, the cover crop seed, then again, your window on selection is wide. But if you're broadcasting without incorporating um, that seed somehow, um, then really oats and in a lot of cases, Austrian winter beet, it's such large, such a, such a large seed. I always shy away from that unless they're getting in really early uh, to plant and ahead of a lot of rain. Yeah, so that was going to be one of my big things too, which is kind of a little interesting to talk about, you know, the rain and moisture factor when it's been raining all day downstate here, at least today. Uh, I actually almost got stuck in a field this morning going to look at it. So it's, uh, there's a pretty significant amount of moisture out there right now to try and plant into. But, uh, you know, for our grasses and, and for all our cover crops, really the winter pea, I mean, we really need to make sure that we do have that moisture. Is there a is there a specific timeline? I mean, is it like our other crops with cover crops too, that if we have rainfall within, you know, a week or so, we're in pretty good shape. But if we start getting longer and longer, we're going to expect poor and poorer stands. I mean, is it, it, you know, it follows through the same basically for a cover crop as any of our other crops, correct? I would think so. Trent, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's generally true. But, you know, one thing that has always amazed me, Tommy, is you know, we'll plant some of this stuff first of September in some of our planning date studies. And that stuff will sit there for a month and not do anything. And then if you get an inch of rain the first of October, you'll get a beautiful stand. And, and so, you know, it'll surprise you sometimes. I think, you know, as long as you're drilling or, or planting the cover crop seed and you're getting it covered, you're generally going to get pretty good results where you have to worry is if you're, you know, broadcasting it and not, you know, covering or incorporating it or, you know, some people try to fly on their cover crop seed into standing beans. To me, that's when it gets really risky. Um, you know, just to, to follow up on, on some things Matt said there, you know, biomass is the name of the game with cover crops. I don't care what you're trying to do. You know, biomass production is the key. And, you know, getting, uh, you know, the, the correct species selected, but getting it planted on time and getting a good stand are all steps, right, that are going to help you achieve, you know, a lot of biomass and hopefully a lot of, a lot of goals. But to me, it's one of those situations where, you know, if you're going to do it, I mean, take the time to do it right. I mean, you're spending money on this, you're spending time on it. So, I mean, treat it like a cash crop. You know, if you're buying the seed and you're going to take the time to do it, I mean, every little thing you can do to get it off on the right step is is going to be greatly beneficial and you'll be able to realize the benefits down the road. Yeah, that's one of the things I was talking about on the weed control front, too, is do some of those little things right and they add up. You know, if you do a lot of little things wrong, that adds up, too, and you end up with a bad situation. Just so you got to kind of focus and do some of those little things. And even though it's you know, time consuming or other things, it's going to go a long way to make it a better situation for yourself. So I agree with that 100%. Um, 
as far as the optimum planting window, I mean, I know you talked a lot about, you know, mid-October, but you could plant it as early as September, those kinds of things. With some of our most common species that are used out there, which I'm thinking, like you mentioned, the grasses, whether that's cereal rye or wheat or, you know, those kinds of things, or uh, probably Austrian winter pea, I think is pretty common. I, I've had a few calls on that. You know, is there, when is the optimum window and really when would be your drop dead date that you do not want to plant any of those any later? Well, so, I, you know, we've got some information out there on that. And, and what I try to tell people to do is we can really just look at our wheat production manual and kind of use it to, to really mimic, you know, when and where we, we can apply wheat. So, uh, for instance, you know, our wheat quack, uh, sorry, our wheat quick facts just came out um, that has some of that optimal planting window. And I think for our winter cereals and our winter legumes, those rules of thumb for, you know, like the north part of the state, the central part of the state and the south are going to hold true for our cover crops. Um, but especially for our winter cereals and our winter legumes, I mean, you, you can plant some of this stuff all the way up into November. And if the conditions are right, um, you know, you can get a good stand. You may not get a whole lot of ground cover and, and you know, erosion prevention in the winter. It goes back but, to the biomass factor though, right? It, it's, it, you yeah. can plant that late, but you're not necessarily building as much biomass as you need, like you mentioned. Like, it may work depending on what environmental conditions we got, but you, the longer you delay it like that, again, you're not building that biomass factor, correct? Even though you have potential well, good stand and things like that. The, the nice thing about it is though, is when it breaks dormancy in the spring, then you're gonna get your biomass, mm -hmm. right? So early planting in the fall gives you more winter protection but really, as long as you can get it to establish, you know, especially our winter cereals and our winter legumes, you know, once we hit February and it starts warming up, then we're going to get all that biomass. You know, Matt alluded to this earlier, but the problem with our mustards and their brassicas is all their biomass is put on in the fall. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't plan early, you're just wasting your time. Awesome. Um, one of the other things I think we need to talk about here too, right off the bat, when we're in this planting species selection discussion is to factor in the termination aspect next spring. I think that's a big thing. At least when I've talked to guys with like, well, we planted these, they said it was going to be a good cover crop, but now how do we kill it? And really that should be one of the first conversations had too as a goal, right? Is how, what are we, what are we looking to plant as far as a cash crop and how are we going to kill this cover crop to make sure that it doesn't mess with our cash crop? Um, and so uh, there's a lot of different options when it comes to, especially when we're talking about grasses versus broadleaves versus legumes and all those kinds of things. So one of the first things that I always like to point people to is in our MP44, uh, the recommended chemicals for weed and brush control publication, um, in our burn down table up front, we do have some recommendations and guidelines as far as, you know, burning down with herbicides, some of those crops in the spring. Um, they're kind of on the right side of that table. And so there is at least a, a couple recommendations out there to try and kill things like the cereal rye, the winter pea, that kind of stuff. Now, if you get into other, you know, mixes of cover crop species or, or other, you know, species that aren't in that table, you got to kind of try and play the game of what might it be most similar to on that table and what'll work best. Cause we really don't have a lot of data necessarily, especially if we're trying to kill you know, early in the spring, if we're trying to plant early with some of our cash crops and kill some of these, these covers a little bit earlier, 
you know, a lot of our different recommendations might change based on temperature and things like that. And so it's, uh, you got to play some games there, but at least that's a starting point uh, to really try and terminate some of these cover crops then. Um, you know, Matt, Trent, did either one of you have anything to add on the termination front side of things? Well, the, the only thing I would say, and you, Tommy, you may need to put a disclaimer in here, but, you know, my, my go-to, especially with blends, is, you know, essentially a, a mix of Paraquat and a photosystem to, you know, inhibiting herbicide. And for different crops, that may be different, you know, herbicides, but, you know, generally that mix is going to do a good job of terminating a wide, you know, array of different species. And, and it also gives you a little bit of residual reed control, depending on, you know, which one of those photosystem two herbicides you you choose. And, and like I said, that's your realm of expertise, but that, that would be my only comment. No, and that's a great option. Uh, I'm 100% there with you. And, and there, some of those caveats start to come into play, though, too, is, you know, are we, are we trying to get away with a one-shot, you know, termination kill? Are we trying to do sequentials to kill it? Um, that Gramoxone Paraquat plus a PS2, you know, I always like to throw that out basically right at planting because then you, you roll that residual right into whatever cash crop you're planting. Well, if, you know, you've got a, a big stand of cereal rye, it might be pretty tough to kill it with one shot of gramoxone. And so you almost need to have an earlier shot, maybe a week or two weeks in advance, and then you finish it off at planting. And that's when I like to throw in that PS2 right at planting to roll it into your residuals. So that's a good point. It's a great program. Uh, but like you said, there's just all those extra little caveats when you start talking about the different species and everything else and really honestly that's probably a good point to mention just right now up front on this conversation is any of these conversations that we have with cover crops is not a one-size-fits-all approach there's multiple things multiple ways to do all of these and really you need to find what works best you know for your operation but what we're going to be talking about today is at least guidelines that we've seen work through some research and, and can get you going down a right path, but it's not necessarily the end all be all way to do things. You gotta kind of, with, with cover crops, you gotta find some little ways that work better for your operation specifically. But this at least is kind of a, a main interstate. You gotta find the right exit ramps to get you the rest of the way. So um, with that, I mean, is there anything else on the planting window side of things that you guys wanted to cover? Or should we just jump into some of the expectations uh, and, and what to expect maybe after we get uh, some of these cover crops in the ground. The last thing I'll say is if you're using a legume, make sure the seed's inoculated. Um, I find more often than not, that's a big swing and a miss that, you know, people assume that they've been growing soybeans there and they can put out vetch or winter pea or something else. And it's just going to nodulate and do its thing. But whether you're doing clovers or any of the other winter legumes, make sure it uh, make sure it's inoculated when you plant it. Awesome, Matt. You got something to add? Yeah, um, and, and I may be getting into what we're going to discuss here shortly, but um, I always advise folks and caution people not, never to plant cereal rye ahead of corn or rice. And we've just got too much data that says you're likely to see a yield drag in, in your corn if you got cereal rye, even if you terminate it early. So. Uh, I just, I would just give that as a word of caution. Awesome. No, I think that's, uh, like you said, that's a great, uh, 
conversation to have is some of those selections and what we're going into for the next cash crop. And, and, and actually that, I mean, I might as well just roll into it because that does play into a little bit on the allelopathy side of things. You know, as far as expectations, that's one of the things that always gets thrown out to us is, well, these cover crops are supposed to secrete chemicals, right, to help us with weed control. And I always have to take a politician's answer here and say, well, it depends, right? It might be, it might not be. It, and it depends on what cash crop we're going to. It depends on what weeds you're trying to go after. And it depends on what species you're planting as far as a cover crop. Um, I did do a little bit of a, a background work, though, just to pull up a couple studies before this podcast. And so I wanted to throw out a couple things here, at least that I found. Um, and really on the allelopathy thing with cover crops, there's the good and there's the bad. So there's, again, good and bad to this. Um, on the good side, uh, I found a USDA NRCS fact sheet that came out of Missouri talking about allelopathy and cover crops. Um, and they had some research that they cited that shown, you know, cereal rye that we talked about and is very common across the state has, has shown to be really quite allelopathic to certain small seeded summer annuals. So things like pigweed, lamb's quarters, which we don't have a huge problem with in the state of Arkansas, but it's a weed that, that it, it works good on, um, purslane, and then even crabgrass to some extent, it's shown some good allelopathic activity on. But then if you start talking about some larger seeded broad leaves, it hasn't, the allelopathic effect hasn't been as strong. So things like ragweed, sickle pod, and morning glories, there really wasn't much of an effect on it from the allelopathic side of things. Um, there was also some uh, discussion there about how some of the sorghum, so if you had like a sorghum sedan grass or something else along those lines, that's been shown to actually suppress Bermuda grass pretty well and some yellow nut sedge, which anymore, we have a lot of yellow nut sedge problems across the state, so we may have to do some weed science research on, on some of the sorghums to see how that's helping on that front. Um, but so there is some good news there from the allelopathic front. Uh, there's also some bad news. So another study, this actually came out of Tennessee, uh, not going to pronounce the name wrong, but it's Shakufa at all 2020, uh, looked at allelopathic impacts of cover crops on cotton germination and seedling growth. Um, so on the bad side of things, uh, with some of these different cover crops, we're going to impact our growth and germination of our uh, cash crop. So what they showed was that uh, they had planted winter pea, hairy vetch, oats, annual ryegrass, which side note, do not plant annual ryegrass as a cover crop here in Arkansas. I'm just going to tell you right now, do not do that. Italian ryegrass, annual ryegrass is one of our most herbicide resistant weeds in the state. Please do not do that. Okay. So that was a side note, but uh, annual ryegrass and winter wheat. So those five different cover crop species. And in this study, they had allelopathic impacts on their cotton from all five of those species, which I was surprised about from the wheat part that there was still allelopathic effects there too. Now, uh, winter pea was the worst going into cotton. That caused the most allelopathic action against cotton. Um, and they also showed as a part of that, basically timing of termination impacted that allelopathic effect. If they terminated sooner, so up to six weeks before, they saw less of an effect. If they terminated right at planting, obviously there was a greater impact on that cotton growth. It was both root growth and germination. So it affected both. Um, so there is some problems there just into our cash crop as well, where we need to select our species you know, appropriately. Some of those grasses, again, would be a little bit better heading into cotton versus something like a winter pea might mess with our cotton pretty good. Um, but the final thing that I wanted to mention all, with all of this allelopathy side of things, 
is it is highly, highly variable what to expect from that. There is really nothing that we can say from a weed science extension perspective on what to expect with this. Um, because it, it can depend on, you know, the different interactions, the different species, what stage those species are at, you know, certain species emit these uh, allelopathic chemicals in vegetative stages, some are when they go into reproductive stages that can change things, uh, you know, environmental things, soil moisture, temperature, all that kind of stuff, all of this is going to impact how much of an effect we see, again, good or bad. Um, and so I just wanted to throw all that out there that there can be you know, some good effects, there could be some bad effects. So it's something that, that may help us, but we need to be aware of that. We need to watch out for what cash crop we're going into, again, appropriately selecting those. But then also uh, just being aware that it's hit or miss when it comes to that. The real benefit when it comes to the weed control side of these cover crops is the ground cover aspect and making sure that we shade the ground and we don't let things germinate. The allelopathy part of that is just kind of an extra added plus if it happens to be there. But the bigger thing is shading the ground and covering it and not letting stuff germinate up through there because they can't get sunlight. That's really the bigger component to cover crops. And so it all goes back to that original conversation like Trent mentioned was biomass, right? Get that biomass, get the ground shaded. That's what's going to do a bigger deal for us on the weed control front than the allelopathic side of things, even though there may be some added benefit there, it's not the sole benefit. So that was a long-winded, you know, response there on allelopathy, but like I said, I want to get through some of that stuff. Um, Matt, I know you've, uh, you know, talked about this, looked at it a little bit. Did you have anything to add on that front or, or you know, other things that you've kind of heard or seen along the way? Um, other than, you know, yield drags and corn, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen any, um, you know, major what I thought might be allelopathic issues. Um, but as far as benefits, you know, we have seen reduced pigweed germination in some of our cover crop demonstrations uh, in the Delta where we could save, a, you know, save an application of Liberty or uh, reduce inputs that way with a, with a cover crop, grass cover crop. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's about all I've seen on those. On the corn front, I, I remember, would, oh, sorry, go ahead. I guess I'd say also that, you know, again, like you said, the, you know, case cover crops are gonna help with weed control, but they're not a silver bullet. There is another tool um, in our arsenal against, against uh, our problem weeds. And on the corn, like you mentioned, I mean, that came from some Arkansas research too that you've seen firsthand, right? And wasn't, I think I heard you mention at one point, it was like a 20 bushel to the acre difference effect, right? When you planted cereal rye and then tried to plant corn into it. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Well, so the, um, Dr. Jason Kelly's uh, got, got replicated research um, where he had heavy rated cereal rye, solid cereal rye terminated at different dates, um, some eight weeks before, I think four weeks, and then planted green. Um, the planted green was a 40 or 50 bushel yield drag. And then the, the eight weeks was um, similar to the fallow. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a huge reduction, huge impact when you're talking corn yields and, and prices and everything else. Um, so I guess, you know, moving on from the allelopathy side of things, like I mentioned, that's, you know, 
it's something to be aware of, but it's kind of a smaller aspect. A couple of the other expectations I wanted to hit on really land more in your guys' realm compared to my weed control realm. But, you know, could, and I don't care who wants to start with any of this, but, you know, could you guys just maybe hit on a couple of the other things as far as expectations go with, again, improving the soil and then improving maybe, you know, organic matter or, or maybe reducing, again, I'm just going to throw this stuff out there because I know all of these conversations are had, but reducing potential nutrient inputs in the future, things like that, right? We all hear these conversations. Can you hit on a few of these topics as far, and especially maybe with, let's say a legume versus a grass crop, right? What we could expect on these different avenues as far as soil uh, texture improvement, aeration, infiltration, and then the organic matter and nutrient inputs kind of thing in the future. So I don't know who wants to start on that whole realm of things, but I figured I'd throw those questions out to both of y'all. Well, so I think, you know, if we start and look at the nutrient aspect of it, um, you know, we have to understand that these cover crops are growing and taking up nutrients, right? Just like a cash crop would. If it's a legume cover crop, then it, it could be, right, generating nitrogen, you know, similar to a soybean with biological nitrogen fixation. But, you know, one thing, that I think we all need to be aware of is uh, we all need to go back to uh, intro to chemistry and talk about the laws of thermodynamics, right? That's um, uh, what, who said that? That was not in this brochure that we discussed. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I, I thought that was a prereq for this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, we can't just generate nutrients out of thin air, right? And so when we grow these cover crops, you know, the legumes can fix nitrogen and add nitrogen to the soil. But when we start seeing, you know, varying responses to P and K and, and some of these others, you know, those cover crops aren't, you know, it's not alchemy, right? They're not making potash uh, just out of thin air. A lot of times what we're doing is we're redistributing those nutrients within the soil profile, right? And so we're potentially mining potash and phosphorus from lower soil depths and we're bringing them up you know more into the root zones of our cash crops and that can be be very beneficial but you know to me the the long story short is if you produce a bushel of grain those nutrients have to come from somewhere and so if the cover crops are mining them out of the soil and making them plant available um, you know at some point you're going to have to replace those and so, you know, cover crops are, are definitely not, um, you know, going to be a be all end all in terms of solving fertility inputs or eliminating, you know, eliminating fertility inputs, but they, they can help us take better advantage of, of the nutrients that we have in the, in the profile. Um, you know, but I'll, I'll let Matt kind of talk about some of the oil, soil organic matter and, and soil health aspects of it, but you know, with any of this stuff that we do, it's a, it's a long game, right? So it's just like when people convert to no-till, you know, you're going to have a rough three or four years there where you're trying to figure stuff out. And then once you get things figured out and the system kind of balances back out, then you start to see all these benefits. And, and I think that's, you know, a message that I would want people to take home today is, um, you know, it may take you three or four or five years before you start to see a lot of these benefits, but you've got to stick, you got to stick with it. Um, and then I'll let Matt talk about some of the, the soil health and organic matters aspects. Yeah, I would agree with what everything 
you said there, um, you know, when we talk about soil health, we, we also are talking about the cash crops roots being able to go deep, right? And so I think, um, especially grasses as a cover crop, we're going to help our cash crop roots go deeper than if we uh, did not have a cover crop in place. And so I think probably the most visible place we see this is probably in cotton right now where we have you know some symptoms that we see you know, we have optimal soil test potassium levels uh, but then in the heat of the season when bowl load is heavy high nutrient demand in the crop uh, we see potassium deficiency even though we've put out recommended potassium uh, pre-season or we have optimal levels in the soil uh, and I, I think a lot of that is because or the cotton plant is just restricted. The root rooting depth is restricted to, you know, our, our hard pan that we have, and water is not going past six inches. So why do the roots need to go past six inches? And if water is not going past that, then if there are any roots below that, they're not taking up nutrients because that's how most of our nutrients are taken up is is uh, via water. So, um, you know, I think that's a big uh, benefit as far as the fertility aspect but again yeah cover crops are not magically adding p and k so you can't eliminate that um some other things that i've some kind of outlandish claims is you know that you know i've, I've doubled my organic matter in one or two years with cover crops and you know in the south we we have warm winters uh, we have a lot of rainfall um, it doesn't get cold enough to stop soil microbes from breaking down organic matter and and so uh, organic matter increases in Arkansas is going to be extremely slow uh, we've got we've got some uh, four and five year cover crop studies uh, where we've seen uh, 16th 100 so 0.16 percent organic matter increases in in four years and so I think we can build it. Uh, it's going to be really slow, but I think one thing's for sure is that we cannot build organic matter without cover crops, um, even in no-till and uh, a heavy biomass cash crop like rice and soybean rotations. We can't build organic matter um, so without cover crops. Um, and so, you know, the, the thing for me, cover crops all have great benefits and um soil health practices have great benefits and really it's implementing all of the principles we learned and print you know intro to soils and um, principles of weed control you know it's implementing all these best management practices um, in a, on a large scale um, but i think where we go wrong is where we take these benefits out of context and so putting these benefits that we expect to see in context um, will make us all um, better utilize and utilize these these practices long term and not get discouraged with them. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And, and just to kind of piggyback off of that and go into the weed control part of cover crops, I mean, it fits perfectly, right? Cover crops are not going to be an end-all be-all to, to fix our weed control problems in the field. But if we don't use them, we see absolutely no benefit, right? Like there, if you don't have something, if you're not trying something, if you're not using something, then there is no chance of it helping, 
Whereas at least if we try it, we use it, we can see some kind of benefit out of it. And so that's important, especially moving into the realm of how much herbicide resistance we have out there. We got to start looking at other options outside of herbicides and using multiple tools instead of trying to rely on just one single tool to do this. And so I think cover crops are a big piece of that puzzle. Um, I mean, just for example, to kind of hit on a few points, we already talked about how, especially things like cereal rye can, can have some really good activity on our Palmer amaranth populations and reduce, especially the first initial flushes in the spring, uh, reduce that uh, Palmer population that we have to deal with later in the season. Um, we also, with these cover crops, it may aid in some aspects of weed seed predation, right? By having a, a living crop or a living, uh, you know, plant out there, it can attract more birds, more insects, things like that to, to, you know, eat some of those weed seeds and destroy them. Now there, that could be good or bad because some research out of Missouri has shown how ducks transported Palmer amaranth seed a long distance. So again, it kind of depends on our weed populations and things like that. But again, another option to potentially eliminate some weed seeds. Um, and again, it may or may not help us with some of our bad Italian ryegrass problems we have out there. Now, it's definitely not uh, an answer for ryegrass by any means. I mean, ryegrass grows with our wheat crop every year. Uh, and like Trent said, with a lot of this th you know, stuff, we can consider it kind of compared to wheat. So it's not going to be a major fix for there. But anytime we can compete with that ryegrass some more, it's going to help us at least hopefully reduce some seed production on it. And if we can implement some of our other strategies too, if our cover crop will get up and we still apply maybe a fall uh, residual herbicide that we were planning on anyway without a cover crop, it can help with our ryegrass. And then we have the cover crop for the spring to eliminate spring flushes or uh, our next summer annuals, things like that. So again, it's not going to help us a lot with our ryegrass, but anytime we can compete with that more and have something out there where it's not just growing by itself, will go a long ways. Um, and then one of the final things I wanted to mention on the weed control front, because we get a lot of questions about it, is in the spring when we have that much biomass and, and covering the ground and everything else, do we need to spray our pre-emergence residual herbicides? And the answer is a resounding yes. You still want to get those pre-emergence herbicides out. They will still help us along ways. Uh, and they, again, they will reduce selection pressure for our post herbicides later in the season. Now, even with our pre's, we got to have moisture to activate them. And so even if they would get caught up on residue early, if we're getting the appropriate moisture to get those activated, that's going to flush them back down into the soil still, even if it got caught on that residue and we're going to have activation, it's going to give us control. So those are still really important to use as well. Don't cut those out of the program just because we've used a cover crop. Uh, the cover crop will just help eliminate some of the flushes we have to deal with and help reduce selection pressure for resistance, which is always a great thing moving forward as well. Um, with that, those were the main things I really kind of wanted to hit on the weed control front. Um, before we, uh, we kind of log off here, I'll start. Matt, is there anything final you wanted to hit on with cover crops, weed control, planting, anything as we're really getting into the, the you know, heat of the season, I guess, even though it's fall, it's not supposed to be heat, but heat of the season for cover crops. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll go back to kind of cover crop selection, you know, we, Trent and I are both kind of vague and, I, and there's a reason, like you said, there's no cookie cutter answer, so it can't really be specific, but, um, again, based on your goals, um, and your cash crop following your cover crop. So, I just always go by the rule of thumb and Trent, you may have a different opinion, but if you're 
cash crop is going to be a grass cash crop like corn or rice. You don't want any more than about 25% of your cover crop mix to be a grass, regardless of your goals. You want 75% of that to be either legume or brassica and vice versa for a legume cash crop. You only want about 25% or less of that cover crop to be a legume. And so that's just kind of a rule of thumb that uh, I follow in my recommendations. Um, the next thing I would say on, um, you know, I mentioned organic matter. It's really slow, but I think even small organic matter increases can uh, give us pretty, pretty big um, benefits as far as uh, moisture retention and, uh, and water infiltration. And so small increases don't necessarily mean small benefits. Brent, you have anything to add as far as final comments? Well, the only thing I would add is, you know, I think Tommy, you, as well as uh, Matt and myself have all emphasized this idea of, you know, easing into cover crops. And so I would just encourage everyone to reach out to NRCS. And they've got a lot of good programs that, that I kind of think of as, as starter programs, right? So they can, can help facilitate the funding, you know, for you to get started in cover crops. And so I would encourage you to reach out to those local resources and they can provide some funding to help with, you know, seed purchase, termination, several different things. But, um, you know, it's not anything you want to jump into with both feet. Uh, work work through the process figure out you know what works for you and and just remember that you know every field every situation is going to be a little bit different and um, you know what works for your neighbor might not work for you but but that doesn't mean you shouldn't give it give it a try and as always Matt myself you know all of us we, we don't have all the answers but we're going to try our best to, to help get you the information that you need. Yeah, and just along those lines, you know, outside of this podcast, there's several other resources available for you to go um, get more cover crop information if you want it. Um, Trent actually has a couple really great fact sheets available on our website. Uh, one is understanding cover crops. Uh, the second one is Austrian winter pea as a winter cover crop. So those are a couple of great options to check out. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, in our MP44, we have some information as far as termination of some of those cover crops and some recommendations there. Uh, Matt actually has a couple of great videos out on YouTube uh, discussing cover crop seed selection as well as termination in cotton. Um, so one's on YouTube and I guess one is on the plant health exchange, I should say. So one's YouTube, one's plant health exchange. And then um, also uh, the Take Action Group with uh, sponsored by the United Soybean Board has a whole fact sheet series revolving around cover crop for weed management. And so those are available on IWillTakeAction.com. Um, so please visit those and support the Take Action Group as well for uh, um, the weed management side of cover crops. Um, Matt, so what else do you, uh, did you want to add there? Uh, I just want to put in a plug uh, for the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance. So we have a group of, of farmers uh, that have organized a nonprofit called the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance. And um, they've been using cover crops for quite some time. And they have a lot of experience on large scale uh, implementation that, that we don't. And we can get you connected with them um, and uh, some farmer to farmer education sometimes more valuable than anything we can offer. So I uh, just put in a plug for them. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, so just as we wrap up here, the last couple of things uh, I wanted to mention, is just kind of thank yous to everybody. So we've had a good, uh, 
a good year long um, Weeds Are Wild podcast series here. And, and I just wanted to mention, you know, a lot of thank yous to all our guests. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Trent, for joining us today for this series. Um, I also wanted to just thank our promotion boards uh, for their funding um, throughout the year. Without a lot of that funding, we wouldn't be able to do extension events like or extension activity things like this, as well as our research opportunities where we talk about, you know, all of these recommendations. They're all science supported. They're all from research that, that we've conducted or fellow extension specialists have conducted. And that's because of the support that we get from some of those different commodity boards across the state. So we thank, you know, all of them for their support, as well as the, the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture for their help and assistance and, and, and um, support as well along the way. So big thank you there. And then as always, thank you to the listener for continuing to support us and follow these podcasts. Even when we have guests on like Trent Roberts, it's great that you continue to listen through these. So I appreciate all of that. But uh, um, with that, you know, any final last comments, Matt, Trent? Awesome. Thanks for having us on. Yep. Thanks for having us. Everybody have a good, safe weekend. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.uada.edu.